people can make more money a lot of times in crypto and in the stock market and stuff like that as far as big huge how many zeros kind of thing but if you do look at the wealthiest people in the world most of them made their money in real estate um as for your wayfinders for people who maybe um either have money and they're looking to get into investment and figure out how to make a future for themselves in real estate or they have no money and they're looking to find a, a make a living and um and real estate looks like a good way to do it welcome to the wayfinder show with louis hernandez and todd katsian where guests discuss the why and how of making changes that led them down a more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. All right. Welcome back to the Wayfinder Show. Todd, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. Weather in Texas is beautiful. So is I'm it? enjoying myself. Oh, yeah. All right. Perfect. Nice. Well, it's really nice out here in Colorado, too. Yeah, I've been doing okay. I've been doing great, man. It's kind of weird to say, "Hey, Todd, how you doing?" This is our first one together now since yeah, you came on the show, so no kidding. it's gonna you be might fun. Call me Adam. That's okay. I almost did. I had to check myself <laughs> when I was talking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, hey, we got a really special show today. We got a good friend of mine, uh, Blake Allen from Manitou Springs, Colorado. I've recently get, been getting to know Blake quite a bit. We're working on a deal together, but I've been getting to know him through the real estate world. And uh, he he is an in, incredibly creative real estate person, and we'll get into that. But uh, first, let's uh, you know, without further ado, welcome to the Wayfinder Show, Blake. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for it's being. Good morning, but it's actually afternoon. So good afternoon. Yeah, it's beautiful here as well. So yeah, I'm down in Colorado Springs actually. The office is in Manitou, but that's right next to Colorado Springs. So yeah, beautiful area. Oh, did I say Colorado? I thought I said Manitou. Sorry. Yeah, you said Manitou. Yeah, Manitou is where the, the little town where my office is. So everyone's okay. welcome to come to Manitou Springs to go up Pikes Peak. That's so. right. I've actually run up to Pikes Peak at that Pikes Peak Ascent race yeah. uh, a few years ago. It's a fun one. That's a fun little town. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Is that where you're from? Yeah, yeah I was actually born up in Littleton, but I moved to Manitou okay. when I was five years old and then uh, then over Colorado Springs in you know, elementary school. So I've been here for a long time. I went to graduated high school, Cheyenne High School, and then I uh, went to Columbia University. I'm uh, trained as a molecular biologist, so did that for a little while, running the lab. But I got my real estate license when I was 19, between freshman and sophomore year in college, really, because my dad made me to as much as anything. But uh, he was in the business before me, so I was familiar with some of the uh, you know wraparound mortgage and fix and flip kind of things. That term didn't exist. But uh, that's the kind of stuff we did when I was a you know, preteen and a teenager. So, what? So you you come from a real estate family? Then you said your dad. Yeah, my dad uh, had a real estate company, and I grew up just listening to him talking about real estate as we drive up and down the Front Range because he worked mostly in Denver, and I was we were down here. What did what kind of was he a broker investor? Oh yeah, he was a broker. He mostly um, you know mostly selling houses like most brokers were, but he gotcha. did a, a number of commercial things and. Uh, owned some real estate and we did, uh, um, you know, the fix and flip wraparound mortgages. So back then you could had non-qualifying assumable mortgages. So we'd buy things with 11% financing and sell them with 14% financing. And that was oh. just normal for the market and, uh, and, you know, buy them, fix them up and sell them and then keep the margin. So I was sort of familiar with those ideas real early on and it wasn't an unusual thing to think about. Yeah. Why don't you stick with molecular biology? Oh, there's not really a whole lot of money in it. I'm a PhD <laughs> candidate, but, uh, you know, I was working for $12,000 a year and work, you know, 70 hours a week. So it's not, uh, not that financially rewarding. It's kind of hard to have a regular life. It's fun and you just live your whole life in the lab and you don't really need any money. But, um, I just, uh, at a certain point, I, was a candidate for the PhD and said, hey, I'll just take a break. And I'm still on the break. I ran yeah. the lab for a couple of years, all that kind of stuff. It was fun. Yeah. So you're like a mad scientist. Well, I was, yeah. And <laughs> uh, and I learned a lot of um, a lot of the different ideas that I think, um, you know, the way I think comes from uh, molecular biology and genetics and, and learning what I learned at Columbia University that has nothing to do with real estate, but it applies very well. How is that? 
Um, well, if you think of things sorting and things like that with chromosome, think about different people and what they do and what groups they join and other things like that. It's all very similar. And um, we all follow um, processes of information that are very similar. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's just interesting. So there's a sort of, a, you know, trading real estate and, uh, and communicating and, you know, everything that happens for us to stay alive, all there's sort of a continuum of information. So probably a little too deep to get into on a podcast, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, if you, uh, um, one thing, I guess I give people an example of how, uh, genetics and sorting might uh, apply is uh, in human resources you might have people who work well together and people who can't work together at all so the people who cannot work together would be either considered on the same or different chromosomes depending on which system you were thinking about and they they're mutually incompatible and some things are some things are linked and some things are incompatible so that's just one of the abstract ways that that Huh. I would apply. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get wrinkles if I uh, talk to you about it too much, but I don't know that how much your listenership wants to hear that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think on this show, we talk a lot about, you know, some, not a lot, but every once in a while we have people, we get into like metaphysical stuff and just energy sure. work, things like that. And, and it's I wonder... hard. I haven't really thought enough to uh, give somebody a, a cogent, uh, you know, analysis of how I would compare them. But I've just found that when you understand sort of the fundamental principles of how things work in a chemical, biochemical, and, and, you know, other, you know, just how the universe works, it makes it easier for communicating and then problem solving. And, and, uh, and part of that comes with, as we learn those kind of things is the reverse of creating, um, creative solutions, for instance. So, yeah. you know, how do I create something? Well, I look at something that's already created and, see how that was done a lot of times. And so there's nothing new under the sun phenomena. And we're just going through this song and dance again, like people have before. So all of that, when you understand and believe that, it, that that's, there, that's just the philosophical part of it. It's easier to say, yeah, I'm going to be able to solve this problem. Yeah. Because I mean, the people made, you know, pyramids, people, what I always, when I wake up in the morning, I think of what a miracle that I can go into this nice tiled shower and see hot water come out of a metal pipe and clean my body with soap. And I uh, think of how many people had to work for how many generations and all the human stuff that's had to happen to get that to happen without any aliens or supernatural interference, just regular hard work. And, uh, and it's amazing. And so if we, um, so we're very lucky already, you know, we're still already lucky. So <laughs> again. yeah. Not probably what you wanted to talk no, about. No, 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 exactly. But it is, yeah. and it's sort of right being, um, no matter how tough things get, then, then you know, it's, uh, it's easier to go forward with those kind of things. And we are all just biological beings. So what money is, is it's a means of maximizing the flow of capital. So there's a natural tendency in the universe to maximize flow. That's one of the most recent laws of physics that they discovered. And uh, that's the force of... Uh, sort of the force of evolution is is based on that. And so what we do in exchanging a lot of times is contrary to that. So it's quickest if somebody will give you money for your property, and then you can take that money and then go buy another property with it. You can do a 1031 exchange or whatever you want to, but money's the fastest way to transfer capital. That's why it was invented. And it's a, a warehouse of capital to a certain, you know, it is, it depreciates, but it's a warehouse of uh, of capital and it expedites the process. And so there's a scientific basis to why we all have ended up, you know, spending money. Well, with exchanging, we realize that it sometimes it's just as good to trade the thing for the thing. And what we're really studying, or what we're really focused on are benefits. And what are the benefits of, of sought by this person and what, and you know, held by the other? And how can we maybe make a way for it to work? Because no real estate transaction happens unless both parties feel they're better off afterwards than they were before. And it's pretty miraculous that it ever happens, okay? Both people win or else it doesn't close. And that's always the deal. Now, there's some not win-win where there are distressed situations and, you know, where one person's under duress. But in generally, this person thinks this much money is worth more than the property. And this one thinks the property is worth more than this much money. And a lot of it has to do with how they're getting the money because if the money is $49 down and make the payment on the window, 
that's a lot easier than a check for the whole thing, right? The car dealers figured that out time ago, right? The, you know, oh, how much yeah. you can pay 500 a month? All right, um, I'm going to put you in this vehicle because $500 a month says you can either have this one to pay four years, this one five years, or this one if you want to pay seven years. And these are what you got. And so there might as well not be a price tag on it. It might as well be years paying $500 a month. Okay, and that's the what you're exchanging. And so, you know, this gets into scientific philosophy just in that, yeah, you know, it's about benefits. It's not, so these different creatures come up to the table that have different desires and different abilities and they want something different. And so this is what we're doing. So again, that's, you know, <laughs> a little weird discussion to be talking about real estate exchanging, but this is, uh, money is sort of what people are seeking. And money, in my opinion, is only needed for food, clothing, and shelter, and really not always shelter. Really need cash or currency. It has no value. It's just paper with ink on it. Um, but we all think it's worth something when we'll trade it. And we need, we need food. We need clothing. And we need out from in from out of the cold. And so, right. but everything else is just unnecessary wealth. I don't need to be able to turn that on. That knob and have that hot water but damn it sure is nice we'll work really hard to get it to where everybody has that you know yeah. and so that's part of there's your philosophical side which you yeah. talk about real estate now yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that was a that was definitely a philosophical way to approach how you think about coming up with a trend yeah. you know how, how to solve for a transaction pretty much to to occur right yeah. looking for the uh, what benefits is each everybody seeking, and and how do you solve for that? So with that, you've mentioned it, it doesn't always have to be money. What 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 are some of those things you've seen or done that people do exchange real estate for? Well, um, you know, as far as exchanging it for other things is a, is another question. But I guess when I'm talking about the the money for the property, people, you know, why do people own real estate? They um. You know, most of people want to get into the real estate business or a lot of people I find out who are, are, are attracted to it from outside want to get rich, right? And I ask people, why do they, you know, why are they interested in real estate? They want to make money. I ask them again, why are you interested in real estate? Oh, I want to make money. I'll ask them as many times until they figure it out. What I'm saying is there are other ways to make money, okay? Real estate's a, a unique thing. It makes, it's really good way of making money. I really like it, but it's a, it's, it's unique um, its own unique thing and it has its own sets of benefits. So I don't want people to think this is the only way to make money. There are a lot more people on the stock market, you know, makes a lot more money. Okay. Cause collectively people, there's a lot more money in the collective psychosis that goes into the stock market than there is in real property. Okay. There that's, that's more money. So people can make more money a lot of times in crypto and in the stock market and stuff like that, as far as big, huge, how many zeros kind of thing. But if you do look at the wealthiest people in the world, most of them made their money in real estate, I think, because that's so there's two kinds of property. There's real property else. Right. So that's the fundamental rule between all of us real estate people underlying why we're doing what we're doing. So we're working with the benefits of real property. And so starting with that, well, what what benefit does somebody seek? Well, what if they want to get rich? How do you get rich? Well, you can buy something worth less that becomes more. You can buy something with, that you rent out or has income or, you know, there's just different ways to do it. And at different stages in our life, we need different things. Um, as for your wayfinders, for people who maybe um, either have money and they're looking to get into investment and figure out how to make a future for themselves in real estate, or they have no money and they're looking to find a, a make a living and, um, and real estate looks like a good way to do it. Anybody on that spectrum, um, how I compare them, I, I teach a lot of classes. I have a YouTube channel called 1031 Paper that people can uh, can look at. But it's a, um, there's two different things. There's making money off real estate and there's investing in real estate. Okay. Some people say, wait a minute. No, investing in real estate is making money off real estate. No, investment in real estate does make money, but that's generally a return on investment. And it's, the, you know, invest, best investments there are, but that's one thing. Um, making money off real estate is doing an activity involving real estate that gives you m money <clears throat> for your work, right. not for not for needing um, not for needing anything. Um, you know, not for having to bring money. And so, 
tell people a lot of times that I own, I'd rather, uh, and, and it's sort of tongue in cheek part of it, but it is, uh, it's true. I'd rather make a dollar of commission than $10 of return on investment. Okay. People say, well, why that? Well, the $10 return on investment, on investment probably cost me a hundred dollars at least to get it. And, uh, because I had to invest something to get it back. So you'd put a hundred in and get 110 back would be the, your, your tip, you know, the example I'm given with that. Well, the dollar, all I spent was my time. And no matter what we say and how time's the only limited resource and all that, like my dad said, when it's all said and done, we all made 50 cents an hour, get over it, work and add money and net worth by my time, by working and providing service to others. And that's more satisfying in one way, but also that really is the fuel for the fire. And then I can take a hundred of those dollars and invest them to get $10 a year off of those and have those continue to work for me. But I'd like that dollar because it's, it's how I turn my time into money. Okay. On the other end where they had a different kind of job and they're fed up with it and they made a lot of money and they want to go into real estate. Well, they're in a position to be an investor and they can invest in the note side of it, or they can invest in the real estate side of it. And there are a lot of tax advantages to investing in the real estate side of it that don't exist in investing into the note side of it. But it's also has the headaches of owning real property because it turns out it's really constantly decaying and, and you know, it, it subject to market conditions and it's got human beings dependent on it or exi- living on it. And, you know, it's a different, a little bit of a different thing. So, so not everybody's made to be an owner of real estate, but there's all kinds of ways to invest. And so if you own the real estate, you can actually go out and paint it and fix it up yourself and add value to it and sweat equity and make money that way. So there are a lot of ways to do it. But uh, again, this isn't really um, my area of ex- specialty that uh, most people think of me for is more for exchanging the the real estate and the different benefits. So, so if let's you want get to into that a little bit about that side of it. I know yeah, you, I'd love to know what exactly is an exchange and, and what have you seen again, real estate get exchanged for? Okay. Well, any kind of real estate held for investment can be exchanged for any other kind of real estate held for investment without taxation under our current laws. Then that allows us to trade real property for other real property. That's sort of the basis behind exchange groups is we now say, Hey, I have this set of benefits and I want that other set of benefits and I don't want to get taxed. So prior to 1985, that meant we had to trade the property directly. After 1985, with the Starker decision, you can turn your property to cash or anything else, give it to a qualified intermediary. As long as you go from title of real estate to title of real estate, you're covered. And that's uh, what people consider a traditional 1031 now, which is really a Starker 1031. So it's been around for about 40 years, less than 40 years, but um, most for most of most people's real estate career. So the, um, and so um, because of that, the exchange marketplace has changed to where it, we've gotten lazy and it's become out of focus. It used to be a lot bigger part of real come out of focus a bit because you can sell them for cash and buy them for cash. And a lot of the younger people don't realize that they're trading. They're just selling things and buying things. Well, the client knows they're trading. They always have because they have to do a 1031 exchange or else they get taxed. And so they're in their mind trading and the brokers a lot of times are buying and selling. And so exchange groups are groups of, um, and exchangers is what we call say ORS. So what we call ourselves a lot of times is groups of brokers that meet together regularly to help their clients by trading property. And so that's where I've learned a lot of the different tools of exchanging. Um, I've been a member of the groups since um, 2006 and um, I guess 18 years now. The, um, and um, that's where I came up with the uh, 1031 paper. It's an old formula that, you know, I, you know, sort of these things get reinvented just like all scientific kind of theories. And um, what, I realized is that it doesn't have to be cash since cash is promissory notes. When you do a 1031 exchange, you don't have to give cash to the qualified intermediary. You can give notes or anything else. And so 1031 paper is the act of taking seller carry financing, passing it through the 1031 process by giving it to the qualified intermediary and then giving it to the owner of the next piece of real estate. 
Okay, so it's um, instead of money. Wait, hold up. Slow that down. So uh, that piece right there, it's the act of taking the seller financing and giving it to an intermediary. So I, you sell me a property, um, I, uh, I give you a note for it. You're you're carrying that uh, the financing. I, I gave you no money or some money, but not all of it. And, okay. Seller carry financing that I'm going to take from you. Okay, and then you're going to take that note, and you are going to. Yes, my my qualified intermediary. You're not going to write the note to Blake Allen. You're going to write the note to, to a third ABC party. qualified intermediary for the benefit of Blake Allen. And that's who that note is going to be written out to okay. and uh, when we close. And then that is going to go to the qualified intermediary. And they're going to hang on to it while I shop. I have 45 days to identify and 180 days to close on my next property. And I'm going to find somebody who takes that for theirs. And then they can either take it. Consequences, I'm not going to go into those right here. But they can um, either do take it and deal with the tax consequences. Or they can give it to their qualified intermediary and Keep go shop themselves. So that's so. When we think about a traditional 1031, rather than a seller financing, you're taking the cash, the, the proceeds of that sale, yep. and you're giving it to a qualified intermediary, intermediary, to fi- while you find another property to roll that cash into, so you don't have to pay taxes, right? Or, right. De- or not, you don't have to, but there's a to delay right. tax, right? So instead of that, you can do that with a note. You're saying, right, um, and. And then it's the same rules apply, but you have to find a buyer who will accept that note. Um, find a person with the replacement property. I'm sorry, the replacement property. That. Right. That's right. And so they're going to... Right. If, if so you're they really, have to want to have cash flow, basically, from a, from right. a note. Or rather. they just want to sell their property and they have another one they want to buy. This is what oh. people are missing. Nobody needs to take the note, just like nobody needs to take the cash. Nobody takes the cash, right? They give it to their qualified intermediary and they buy another property. They don't take the cash. They don't want the cash. Cash is poison. It's got a lot of taxation. Yeah. So they're not going to take the cash. People don't want the note either. They want the next property. So gotcha. as long as everybody realizes the game and they're everyone's going title to title, that's really what they want. Now, somebody does want, says, yeah, it's a 40-year or 20-year 4% amortizing note. Yeah, I know I can probably get more in the bank right now, but to if I can just get X amount a month for the next 20 years, heck yeah. I'll do that. I'm out. And yeah, I know I'm paying taxes, you know, and they're going to have some tax consequences uh, doing that. But, uh, but generally, you know, the notes can be passed around until they're, until the note pays off. Okay. Because it just keeps getting passed along. Just like the money. Nobody spends the money. In fact, nobody, the money never even exists. Right. Okay. Never because, hits a bank account. Well, it's a, just a number. Yeah. A number in a bank account goes to a number in the qualified intermediary's bank account goes to a number in the other seller's qualified intermediary's bank account and the title to the property comes the other direction. That's what we're doing here is I'm giving you a deed to a property. You're giving me a note. I'm saying, please don't give me the note. Give the note to Todd and Todd's going to go buy something for me with it. And that works just fine. Property for me and gives it to that seller and then they give it to their friend who does the same and they do the same kind of thing. And this isn't um, avoiding taxes. This just defers it down the road. And the reality is everybody has to buy a bigger property and the amount of taxes that the government gets is way more in the end. So this actually benefits the public in the same way, the public collectively, as well as it does the individuals. And then, oh, by the way, these properties in the meantime, you know, all that money goes to people you know, to jobs and, you know, cert, you know, regular trickles down like all money does when it comes out into the into the system. So the people pay rent and the owner goes spends the rent at the grocery store. And then the gr- people at the grocery store can pay rent, you know, kind of, it, it gets recycled a bunch that way. But um, pay per is helping people move from one property to another using the financing. Because sometimes if the cash is available in the market, we just use cash. Like I said, the you know, laws of physics say that that's, that's, you know, that's the fastest way to do it. And that's why we have cash. So if I put up a property and there's enough cash in, you know, people say, I want to give you that full price in cash. Hallelujah. Then we 1031 that cash. And that's easy. Sometimes like times like now you try to sell a seven cap property with a 9% interest rate 
in a market that's used to 4% interest rates, it doesn't happen. And so very sluggish market now for that reason. But that property with a 4% interest rate, somebody will pay that price. Okay. So Mr. Seller, take the 4% interest rate, go give it to your qualified intermediary and go find somebody else who wants to sell their property and want something different. And they'll take it subject to finding somebody else. Paperwork's just like money. No, nobody gets to just take it and push the button, which is um, which is the difference. Although you know somebody along the way can, if you trade into a property that's in sell for cash, you know that's and and that's another thing. So why would people do it? You know, and 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 you know that's there are a lot of reasons. So I'll stick with the ten thirty one paper for a minute. But you could come in, Luis, into things, right? I can hundred percent finance the thing to you. As long as usually I want extra collateral or some reason to trust you, I'd probably split it into two notes. But I can go take my my million dollar property that today won't you know would only sell for eight hundred thousand because of the loan situation. But I can say, yeah, Luis, I'll sell it to you for a million dollars and I'll carry the whole thing, subject to me finding somebody to take that paper. And as long as I can go find somebody, I'll do the trade and I'll go find the next get the next piece of real estate, and you'll have you'll own it and you'll have a mortgage. Okay, so I've made your dream come true. I've done the deal. Then so I'll pay the mortgage to that other person. Yeah, and then That's I get true. their property. Yeah, and now I get to go deal with that. And if I had debt on mine, I've got to move it to theirs. And uh, and but there's an example. Mine not may not sell for cash that easy. Okay, but you're willing to take it. I might trade into a property and give them a million paper. And that may be a property that the guy wouldn't sell to a guy for 900,000 cash because he was stubborn about his price and he didn't, and he wants the seller carry anyhow. Trade my million dollars of paper. I sold it to you for a million. Go trade it and buy a million dollar property with it. And then next day, go sell it for $900,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've lost $100,000 on that transaction. Don't know what profit I made on the front end, but, um, but I did it because I, my choice was to sell my property for 800,000 cash. Now I got an extra 100,000 and I made your dream come true because you were happy to pay those terms and pay a million. And so everybody won. And, uh, and you know, and I really just sold for cash. Yeah. I just got to sell for more cash. And then. like you said, um, we're starting to see these kind of things again, right? I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, you, there was a time when this was the only way to really facilitate change but now with the higher interest rate environment and and we have so much stagnancy i guess in real estate transactions people who've been in real estate the last 10 years or so don't realize how easy it was with interest rates like that yeah okay when the cap rates on the property are bigger than the interest rate it's really easy yeah but that's not been the case for most of history okay most of the time you're Finance money costs you more than the return on the property. So it's not as easy of a game. And people, well, how do you make money off real estate? Well, it turns out you still do. Yeah. Okay, but it's it's not easy. You can't syndicate and give people an 8% preferred return and extra profits like you could, you know, five years ago. Okay. And um, I should have probably been doing more of uh, that kind of stuff. I just i have never really liked that, that way of doing things. But the... Um, but now it's much more like traditionally it's been, and it's been hard. And traditionally, commercial real estate was always a 10 cap. You wouldn't buy anything under a 10 cap. Hmm. Nobody would think about it. And, and so, you know, we've had a lot of, of inflation and, and you know, there's price corrections to be made. And so that's why, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons, depending on where people are in real estate, to use some creative formulas because, you know, it's people get attached to their price. And the things aren't worth it anymore because of the interest rates. And the Federal Reserve, for some reason, we've given the right to just slash our real estate values whenever they want to. And um, then this is a way to not have that be such a factor because a 4% note is better than a 9% note. Objectively, even though it gives less yield, it's a better note. It's safer. It's going to be realistic because the property's not going to support the 9% note. And, um, and so, you know, again, each person along the way, depending on their, what they need, that's very similar to cash. And I'm just trying to get more people to understand what it is and that we're really trading property. I find this extremely uh, fascinating because it seems like it's so much creativity in this. Um, but it also seems to me that it's, it's uh, this, this exchange 
uh, is really dependent on relationships. Is that true? And if so, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, it absolutely is. So you need to know your client really well. That's why counseling is the key. As a broker, if you don't know what your client's really looking for and what they'll do, it makes it really hard to know what other real estate they want. But you also, we have these networks of um, exchange groups where there are people I've known for 17 years since I've been doing this that uh, we go to rooms, um, one group four times a year, another one five or six, and uh, 100 brokers sit together and trade property. And you get to know them really well. And then we have local groups like Luis goes to in uh, in uh, in Denver that is um, like Mile High Exchanges. They meet every week. I used to, you know, I try to go up there once a month. I haven't done it for a while. But, um, you know, that used to be 50 or 60 brokers a week meeting. And you get to know each other real well. And um, when you've done, you know, you've had lunch together, multiple deals, it's real easy to cut through the BS when you're calling up. You don't have to, like a lot of brokers, commercial brokers, you have to sort of qualify yourself how, you know, wonderful you are and how great clients you got and all that. And, you know, that really this person with this $10 million listing really wants to talk to you. And um, that doesn't happen when you're in exchange groups, you know, people, you just call them up and say, hey, it's Blake. And then I'm calling you about this. And, uh, and we go from there. So absolutely tied its relationships. A lot of these deals you wouldn't do with somebody that you didn't know or trust because it, you know, not that you're vulnerable, the, the paperwork's all coverage and all the rest, but it just would be a nightmare to do. And it has, I've, you know, I've done some with, uh, bad, you know, deals with bad players. It's, it's a nightmare if the people on the other side aren't really up to what they're doing. Like if, for instance, I set the thing up and I trade the note and the dollar note. Okay. Now I look really bad. Okay. Because this guy's got to foreclose on a building that he's going to, you know, he's not going to sell it for 800,000 now because it's now in foreclosure, right? And so the uh, everybody has to trust everybody and everybody has to do what they say they're doing. Because if anybody, if any one person doesn't, the whole system falls apart. And I mean, that's the same with everything, but the banks have it so set up that it really money and the person, it's the person versus the bank in normal circumstances. And so I think that's sort of been perilous because it's created a sort of victimless crime sort of situation for people who do defaults. Turns out if you default, there is a victim. You know, I mean, when it's an institution, it doesn't seem such a big deal, but when it's an individual and this is money they were living on and they need to feed their kids, well, it's a different thing, you know? So mm. that's, um, and so that's, uh, and although I guess I shouldn't use that example, that there, there's a thing you may or may not want to have in because the fact is nobody should be doing this if it's money they need to feed their kids. Okay, right. let me make that correction so nobody gets that. This is um, in money for investment, and this is money that generally, it, you know, you need to be able to, you know, any investment money you have, to, you should be able to lose it and still survive. Otherwise, it should be savings money or, or you know, somewhere else safe you know, or own a piece of real estate. So, but, um, and that's the thing. So these exchanges work with every kind of real estate. You don't have to trade land for land and apartments for apartments, any kind for any kind. So. Yeah, that's interesting because from what I know of the traditional 1031, it was always, uh, you know, a commercial property for a like commercial property. But when you're doing no, it that's this way, that's yeah, something. That's a misconception people have had in the market. It's always been ever since 1920, any property held for investment is like kind to any other property held for investment. It's the intent of you holding it. So if it's your personal use, your house, that you can't do. Mm -hmm. So you can't use it. So you can't trade for that big house and then move into it. That's not intent to held for investment, but anything else is. So a piece of land that you know you're buying now because it's going to be worth more later, you held that for investment. The apartment, you certainly held it for investment. You didn't enjoy owning the thing. You bought it because it, it's going to be worth more and because it's going to give you income. Okay, so anything you hold for investment can be exchanged for anything else held for investment. And it needs to be the same entity leaving title and going into title. You know, gets rid of the relinquished property and takes the replacement property. Vehicle that you use in between does not matter, okay, as long as you don't touch it. So the money you never touch. If you touch the money, it's done. You had the option of not buying the property. The government gets to tax you because you had the money for a day, you know, and you could have gone spend it on whatever you want. But this way, by giving it to a qualified intermediary, you don't have access to it. And with a note, it's even more obvious because, you know, you can't spend it. Yeah. 
Going back to the exchangers, there's mm-hmm. a community I've recently come across and, and have been deep diving into, and that's how we met, right? And uh, I find it fascinating because it is a, a bunch of gentlemen who've been doing this for a long time uh, and ladies who've been doing this for a long time and, and are very uh But I, that's one of the things I noticed right away was the relationships there are really built on trust from day one. You, everybody's there. to It's a high trust environment and everybody's trying to help each other. So we come in with a deal. You know, I went to the national meeting in Vegas recently. We saw each other and, you know, working on a deal. But it was a property I've been trying to sell for a year. It's been the hardest property I've ever had to sell. And, um, you know, we were in a room uh, with all like-minded, intelligent folks like Blake who, who helped me solve for that problem, you know. And uh, I find that it's very different than the way real estate is done. But, you know, and I was afraid to bring this to my owner. I had to get special permission, all that. Uh, But everybody, he's incredibly, incredibly grateful just because we do, we are able to help solve his problem, you know, which is the benefit he saw. So uh, it's it's a collaborative environment. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody's got is competitive by nature. The the fact is, no, this is a way that we cooperate. We work together understand that it doesn't work for us if it doesn't work for you it has to be a win-win or we don't close and so you know people who have been doing it a long time realize there's no reason to hide or sugarcoat anything because we're all going to find out and you need and it needs to you know where it's not going to close so we need to make sure that you're getting a better afterwards than you were before and that i'm the i'm the same way otherwise we're not going to get a deal to close and so that helps a lot and um, and a lot of times it's three way deals um, because they don't necessarily want what you've got. So that's a, another thing that exchanging allows. So if if I want Louis's property and he doesn't want mine, now he's got two things to market: his property and my something that he's okay with or his owner's okay with. He can be done because he found a taker. And so the key is we go, it's the most like the stock market of anything in real estate. And you go and you present your property and people say, I'm a taker with this or that. And so it really creates a good environment and you need trust because, you know, again, nobody wants to waste time. And that's why it takes a long time. It takes uh, sometimes years to get to fit in with the group because people need to know who you are, that you come, you're coming back, that they can trust you, that, you know, what you're you say is right. And most of these people, I'm 57 and I'm a young guy in the exchange world. Okay. And uh, there's most of them are older and yeah, most of them are men. There there are a number of notable, you know, wonderful ladies who do it as well. And, um, but uh, yeah, most of them, I've been licensed for 38 or 39 years now, and I'm probably right in the thick of average for the people there, um, generally 40 or 50 years of real estate experience. And they don't do this because it's a job anymore. Do it because you love it. And it's just what you know how to do. And most of them don't retire. Um, they die. And um, so that's the negative is that we go to a lot of funerals and uh, deal with a lot of that because it is, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of a group uh, of people that, you know, it ends up being. They literally do it till they till they pass away. So. And, uh, and and we enjoy it. So hopefully that won't scare off young people because it is a bunch of old people. Newer folks are amazed with the creativity and the newer, younger people's technology enough and all applies. But the um, it's, this is a people business. We don't know what benefits the person wants unless we talk to them. We can't tell by looking at an MLS listing what benefits the owner seeks. So we have to have the conversation. We have to have the special forums that talk about motivations and that kind of stuff. And that's the difference. And so I think some younger people are more reluctant having the long, hard conversations with people about the realities of their life and why they want to do this, that, or the other thing. And some are investing to make more money and some of them are starting to solve problems. And, and you know, as most of us know, once you've identified that you have a problem, you're a large of the way to the solution. Okay. And so if they identify, they have a problem, they find a broker who's creative and it's going to find a solution, solution for, yeah. you know, Blake, for somebody who's been doing this as long as you have now and, and has a really wide breadth of, of real estate, uh, in this environment that we are and that we're going more towards possibly, I mean, I guess the question is where do you see real estate going in the next five to 10 years? 
not so much valuation, but the way business is done. And because I, like like this is something, you know, the subject twos are more popular now. Uh, uh, even the wraps that you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show. Uh, what what else do you see possibly happening? Have you, have you seen a time like this before and what worked? Oh, yeah. We, when things get tough, we have, uh, you know, there's a lot more creativity. The uh, money in the market's the worst thing for exchange groups, although... They've also thrived with the money. And, um, you know, in the last years, the amount of money in the groups has just been insane because people go there to, to spend money. But it's sort of what I would like to see versus what, you know, I think may, may or may not happen. Um, I would love to see people get more creative. I, you know, trying to build out this 1031 paper company and the rest to help people understand these different ways of doing real estate because we don't need to be beholden to the Federal Reserve and, you know, artificially created interest rates. The market could could create the interest rates this way as well. But I would love to see people get more creative and, and do more things without needing the money in the banks. But um, I think we're going to see, as we have over the years, is the real estate market depending a huge amount upon monetary policy and the interest rates manipulating the market. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's manipulation is the right world, word, but affecting the market disproportionately. So the things that we're talking about now a lot of them were because of the rate interest rate that the Federal Reserve gives money out when you know when it's gone to zero and it's then it's gone higher and you know different amounts over the time that's what affects the market so one thing I can tell you I have a little house Colorado Springs three different times um once for fifty thousand once for a hundred thousand once for a hundred and fifty thousand and this is literally true I mean I, I could make it up and it would be the same story but um they um had uh, the first one was 12% interest rates. The next one was 8% interest rates. Third one was 4% interest rates. The three people make the same payment on that house. Okay. The house had the same payment. Interest rates went down. Property, the value, the value of the property tripled because of interest rates cutting into a third. Okay. It's not rocket science. It's that's what it is. The prices of houses are based on how much a person can pay. The interest rate determines how much a person can pay. Therefore, it determines the price of the of certain you know entry level houses, and in generally the majority of housing that affects commercial real estate in a in a less direct way, but it's still you know is very much a factor. And so, unfortunately, I think that that's you know until people figure out the other alternative forms of currency, that um, the cost of money at the Fed window is going to determine how good the real estate market is and when to buy and sell and some of that and and the rich are going to get richer and that's the way it is because that's it's sort of set up that way right well <laughs> uh, i mean having said that the reality is what i tell people and i think i've told you this louis is um or maybe i haven't in 50 years the rent on a two-bedroom apartment is going to be two hundred fifty thousand dollars a month okay yeah. we know that based on what's happened over the last 50 years so um you know, based on that, is would you rather have the, um, you know, or the two bedroom apartment? Well, you know, in fifty years from now, you really you're gonna want that two bedroom apartment because that's the same as saying you could buy it now for two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Okay, because that's that's what it is. So you know, younger people need and people in general buy more real estate and hang on to it because if you're gonna live fifty years, that's what's gonna happen. And it's not because that apartment got any better. In fact, it got worse over time. But the uh, the money got cheaper. So a, a quick one, and I know we're probably way over time, but you can cut these things in and out, is a story I tell my people is my dad bought two duplexes in 1957 for 1978 for 28000 oh. We still own one of them. They make more than that. Um, well, the 3600 makes about that. Um, we had another unit. Makes somewhere similar to that a month, okay? Wow. Yeah. So if he, it's, sorry, I, I'm sorry, I, I already screwed up the story. He bought it for $1,200. He bought it for $1,200 and um, and sold one for 28. And then and then we still have the other one. And they makes like, the two units makes like 2,600 a month or something like that. And, um, but he paid 1,200 for him. Okay. <laughs> if he'd paid 3,600 for him, right? The story I started with, that's still a really good story. Yeah. So what I tell young people is don't, the fool who says you make money when you buy real estate is wrong. I mean, there's sometimes when that's the case, but usually that's not. You make money by turning the pages on the calendar. 
If my dad paid thirty six hundred instead of twelve hundred, it's still a damn good story. Yeah. Okay, and it's still fine because look at how much money there is in it. Not got nothing to do with that property. It's the dollar. Yep. So, um, Blake, we're about at that point of the show where we'd like to ask sure. our famous, a world famous Wayfinder Four. Mm. You ready? Oh yeah, people. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the worst at answering the questions because I'm. I'm, I don't know if I'm the oldest person you've interviewed or not. No, but no, no, no. Definitely not. Okay. Yeah. Actually, uh, and since this is uh, Todd and I's inaugural episode, can I put you on the spot, Todd, to ask the first one? You bet. Mm. All right, here we go. Mm. Like, what is one hack that you would recommend? Maybe it's an app, a software, some routine that you have, or some service that you pay for. That makes first your life all, better. First of all, I'd recommend no one ever use the term hack. <laughs> would be a, a hack and i would say i can't uh i thought about this for a minute and i can't really think of anything i don't like high-tech solutions to low-tech problems i'd rather um use my brain and do do things the hard old-fashioned way but i'm guilty of uh, every year i say i'm gonna embrace technology and it never happens yeah so. it doesn't have to be the g right i mean you know some early in the morning yeah. right I guess another one, yeah, the infrared sauna. Oh, there you go. It reverses your aging. Okay. I have an okay. infrared sauna. You have one? Wow. Yeah. 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 Have an infrared sauna in your bedroom, and then your uh, life is pretty good. There you go. Well, Blake, how about a favorite? This could be a book, a movie, a show, a hobby, a chromosome. That, that is <laughs> what it is that, um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I've never really listened to podcasts or, or blogs, or I don't do any of the social media or any of that thing. But um, a book I'd recommend that was a good one is uh, um, by a Colorado Springs author, Pulitzer Prize one is The Man Who Killed the Deer by Frank Waters. The Man Who Killed the Deer by Frank Waters. Hmm. So for your kind of folks, it's really about fitting in what the new world that they may think they want to be in with really the traditional world that we're all grown up because we really are just kids. And the one we're trying to satisfy is that kid. I like that. Right. All right, Blake, if you could go back in time, what is the one piece of advice you would give yourself? Well, the um, yeah, I thought about that. There's a lot of stuff I couldn't say on uh, in mixed company, <laughs> but the uh, the reality is if I was going to say anything for this kind of a show, it's just buy more real estate. The earliest you can buy it, you know, people say, oh, that's a bad, you know, oh, the market, this and that. Just buy it and hang on to it. Turn the pages on the calendar. Even if it's going to crash, it's coming back. And uh, if you're young, you know, if you're 20 years old, you're going to live 80 years. So you are going to watch rents go through 250,000 and beyond unless we change our currency. Mm. You know. Which could be a topic so, for another, uh, another yeah. show. Well, we may not need places <laughs> to sleep at that point. Yeah. So you never know. So. so Blake, what's a limited belief you've had and how did you overcome it? The only example, example I can really give of a limited belief that I overcame is, um, I did real well in, in high school and I ended up going to Columbia University because I did real well in high school and got good test scores and all that kind of stuff. So when I was 18 years old, I was the self-proclaimed smartest guy you ever met. Mm. So the best thing that I ever did was I went to Columbia University and I met guys like Gilbert Stork and some of these other guys who uh, have the Congressional Medal of Honor or Nobel Prizes. And turns out they're smarter than I am. guy around and I want to hang out with people who are really smart and that's... Uh, in the exchange world, there's so many people yeah. who are way smarter than I am that I'm hanging out with, and uh, and they've you know very wealthy and very experienced, and um, you know well, and some of them wealthy in money, some of them wealthy in different ways. It's all by uh, all by choices, but um, you know very self assured people who know what they're doing, and with a mix of other and where they fit in, yeah. because uh, we are a bunch of odd ducks if we have come to the exchange world because. Uh, Generally, it's people who, you know, I've so had years and sold dozens and dozens of houses, and it's just not really that much fun. Yeah. It, after a while, it get, turns into a job, and nobody wants a job. There's so. definitely a lot of smart people in the exchange world. Uh, I, you know, it's I've been bored. I've been in real estate 26 years. I also got my license around 19 when I was in college, and I, uh, I you know, you get bored of it very quickly. I thought I was the smartest guy around. I knew it all. It just, I, I go in and out of it because of that. 
until I went to exchangers and I was in that room for the first time, I was just blown away by the brilliance and creativity in that room, just blown away. And I'm like, this is where I want to be. And it's kind of rejuvenated my, my passion for real estate, actually. It really has. It keeps you interested. Yeah. And that's the thing, I guess, the message to the world is everybody needs a broker in that room. Okay. And if you don't, even if you don't have any money, you still need a broker in that room. And well, how do you get a broker interested? Well, you, you know, you're going to have to bring something to the table. You got to be willing to work hard or something. But, um, you know, if you have an RV or a pickup truck, you can own real estate. You know, if you got anything, if you just got a willingness to make a payment or, or paint a wall or pour concrete, for God's sakes, you can make a living in real estate. Totally. So, Blake, uh, if people want to know a little bit more about you, where should we send them, Blake? Um, I have a YouTube channel just called 1031 Paper. So just paper. That's the YouTube channel. And there's a 1031paper.com. We're building out that website. Um, there's gonna, a couple of companies, 1031 Paper Education and 1031 Paper Marketing, that um, we have. Um, in fact, I guess one thing I'd like to plug is here on the 29th on Leap Day of uh, 2024, which will be behind the time when most people listen to this probably, but the uh, we are going to have our first national Zoom meeting. So anyone licensed with a real estate license can join us. We're going to have a half a day education, half day of marketing on the 29th of February. And um, just reach out to, to me or to um, you know my nephew. It's actually asher at 1031paper.com is what the email is. Um, and uh, you know we'll get you signed up for it. But the um, what I'm trying to do is get exchange groups again in every association in the country. A lot of places have exchange groups and a lot of them don't. So ideally, you live in a market that has an exchange group and has brokers going to the exchange meeting. And if you're an investor, you want to have, you know, get to know those brokers and have them in the room. And they need to have an exclusive agreement with you. They have to know you well. Know, so when they see an opportunity offered, they can make an offer on your behalf right there. And um, now they're non-binding offers, but, you know, basically that's what we do. We'll present a property and then we have many offers and you'll leave the meeting with offers. Yeah. And so that's a, um, you know, that's a way for people to, to get into it and, um, and, and just look up exchangers, uh, ORS, so yeah. like realtors. Yeah, uh, Blake, we're, we're going to be sure to air this show before the 29th. We, we usually air right. on Tuesday, so we're going to try and air this one on the 27th, I believe. So that way there's a couple of days uh there yeah. so we'll, we'll slide you in there and hopefully some people are here to catch sure. it but if not we'll make right. sure and, and they can go everybody ahead. needs to be licensed i'd love it if everybody could watch and we may make some uh meeting you know some times of meetings at some point where people from the public can watch it as well to see because it's really fascinating but people need to be licensed because of the confidential information that we talk about because we really do talk about why people are selling and stuff like that and it's very different from traditional market so for the zoom meeting they have to be licensed agents as well yeah, they have to be licensed okay. agents gotcha. yeah, to, right. to join on the Zoom meeting. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Blake, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Thank you yeah. uh, for jumping on and short notice. And uh, we look oh, forward no to problem. promoting. It's President's Day. It, it's yeah. a national holiday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're yeah. one of those people yeah. since I've gotten involved in the exchange world. That when from the moment you started getting up there and, and, and uh, talking about exchanging, I knew that I had to get to know you and, and follow you. So, uh I really appreciate, well, I appreciate the relationship it. we're building, and I hope to do a lot of deals with you. And um, yeah, we'll see you uh, see you at one of the meetings. Yeah. yeah, thanks for being here. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.